Hey everyone, this is T-Roll, the host of the Campus Outreach Podcast. We're taking a break from our normal podcasts over the summer, and instead we'll be posting audio versions of various talks that were given at our beach project from earlier this summer. If you are interested in viewing the video form of the following message, please go to cobirmingham.org forward slash campus talks to find all of our talks from this year's beach project. Thanks so much and enjoy today's talk. This tonight never gets old. To see people, the next generation of laborers coming together to say we want to make, we want our lives to make a difference. And I hope that that's why you're here. I hope that's what you guys have been talking about. I'm sure that it is. And we're going to talk for the next few minutes about what God's doing in the world. And that really is the hope that we have. It's not that we're going to do something in the world. It's that God is already at work in the world. We're just going to join Him in what He's doing. So to think even, you know, like four months ago, five months ago, to think about we could have had a group like this together, and maybe some of you are wearing masks, I don't see many masks, but, you know, just that we could have this level of closeness and proximity, and even intensity in relationships, and then <coughs> seeking God together, be like, there's no way that's going to happen. And look what God did. He brought you guys together. You're not here by accident. This project isn't happening by accident. There are other projects happening all across the country. Those aren't happening by accident. God is doing something in the world. So the question is, what is it? And how can we be a part of it? And so, you know, over the past year, a lot of people have been asking, you know, what, what's God doing? Was God like asleep? Is that why we had a COVID, you know, outbreak of pandemic? Because somehow God took his hand off the steering wheel of the world and things kind of got out of control for a moment? Not at all. God has been at work in some major ways. I think there are at least four ways. I'm actually going to add a fifth way to that over the past year. First of all, he's been saving people. This is a picture of Tim Bird in Luzaka, Zambia. Tim, the bottom left-hand corner there, uh, is the team leader there. There's a, a other staff uh, that are there with him. Think about having a ministry on your campus where this is <coughs> dynamic. Because they don't have any of the opportunities that we have here in terms of controlling the pandemic. They had to totally limit who could be on campus. And so they said, okay, all the freshmen can come, and all the last year, the seniors can come. Sophomores and juniors, you've got to stay at home. And so all the relationships they had built last year as freshmen, out the door. It's like, okay, we're starting over. And so just that's in the last few weeks that their classes have started. How would you like to have a ministry where it's like that much turbulence going on? He said, Ken, we're just showing up on campus saying, God, would you work today? Guess what's happened in the last three days? Three students have come to Christ. Three students have come to Christ. going to switch here in a couple weeks. All the second and third year students are going to be there. All the freshmen will go home and all the seniors will go home. And then hopefully later in the year they can come back together. So those three students that come to faith are, guess what? Freshmen. And one of those, her name is Andile. And she's not actually from Zambia. She's from Swaziland, which is inside the, the, the uh, nation of South Africa. And so everybody's bummed out. So I think you just came to faith and, and you're going to have to go, you know, going to leave campus and go back home. She said, that's the greatest thing in the world because nobody in my family is a Christian and I'm going to get to go home. God's sending me home. He's closing school down. So I have to go home so I can tell my family about Jesus. Don't tell me God's not at work in the world. Look at what he's doing to bring people to himself. 
This picture is a picture, I'm sorry for those particularly in the back, it's hard to see some of these pictures. This is from Thailand. The young man that you see there in the, the front, his name is Mai. To the left is his new wife, Chloe. In the back, you see in the back right is the team leader there, Nai. Um, obviously, is, is Thai. And so when, uh, when Mai was a student, for four years that he was a university student, Nai was sharing the gospel with Mai. It's a little confusing. Nai sharing with Mai. Kept sharing the gospel, kept sharing the gospel, kept sharing the gospel. Mai just said, no, not really that interested. Just kept sharing, kept sharing, kept sharing, kept sharing. They very clearly even for Mai what it meant to follow Christ, what it meant to be a believer. When he graduated, Mai had not made a decision for Christ. The last thing Nai did, he said, you know, I just want to make sure you have a Bible. We've looked at lots of things. Here's a new Bible for you to take with you. And, and you know, Mai was like, thanks, that's great. A year ago, 10 years after he graduated, how long did I say? 10 years after he graduated, my, the student, 10 years a graduate now, calls Nye and said, you know what? I read the whole Bible. I read the whole thing. And I'm now ready to make that decision that you were asking me to make 10 years ago. Don't tell me God's not working for that's unbelievable. And so I was like, great, man, have you already, you know, you know we talked about the decision you make in repentance and faith and giving your life to Christ and just prayer to say that to God. He's like, no, 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 no. I need to meet with you in order to do that. He's like, you don't have to meet with me. Just, just talk to God. He's like, no, I, I want to meet with you to give my life to Jesus. And they met, my, accepted Christ. He said, and I'm dating this girl and I'm about to propose to her we're going to get married in just a few months and I've been... She started reading along with me, and she wants to accept Christ, too. That's Floyd there in the picture. He said, she wants to meet with you, too, to accept Christ. He said, no, 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 you don't have to do that. You just go share Christ with her, and, and y'all pray together. He said, no, no, she wants to meet with you to accept Christ. In Thailand, it's just a little different. They just, you know, they got this thing going on about how they want to they pray with nine. He had the privilege of leading them to Christ and then doing their wedding. Ten years later, a young couple new in Christ, growing in Christ, those seeds that you're planting now, that's not in vain. It might be ten years from now that they come to fruition. God's saving people. God's at work in the world. He's also developing people. This is, if you can see, this is the New Zealand team uh, who just finished back in, in December and January and their summer, their summer project. You know, in the midst of COVID, they had incredible restrictions there, what they could do on campus. They had more people, more people, did you hear me? More people on their summer project than they had ever had before after a year of almost total lockdown on campus. Don't tell me God's not working. He's developing people. So now they're back on campus, and they're just having an incredible fruitfulness on the campus, and they're all saying, you know, it's that time on the summer project. It's what God did on the summer project. And my life is now helping me on campus. In fact, they just got kicked out of one of the dorms for sharing the gospel there. When God's at work, guess who else is at work? Satan, trying to limit it. And they're, they're trying to work around that. They're trying to mend some fences there to be able to get back into that uh, dormitory where the limitations have come from. You know, I know that you, you guys, this is like a lap of luxury. You guys are having this project yet here at the Shallow Mark. And this is just like, really, isn't it? That was a joke. 
It's unbelievable. Wouldn't you like to have a side project in a place like that? You know, it's like, you just expect, it's a New Zealand, so you just expect like the hobbits and the Randolph to come over the Unbelievable what God's doing. He's developing people. That's the Thai team, or one of the Thai teams, or three teams in Thailand, that's one of them. All Thai staff leading their own staff development time. It's like, there, there's, there's not a foreigner in that room. That's Thai people who've come to faith who are now training one another to reach other Thai people with the gospel. Don't tell me God's not working. He is. He's also sending people. This is our people who prepared, as Tito talked about, people preparing to go and serve in other places. And this is from December. They have been preparing all over the year, many of them unable to go because the countries that they were going to were closed because of COVID. And then they got deployed, and these are the pictures where they actually landed there in the various countries where they went to. You'll see there South Africa, you'll see Zambia, England, uh, Mexico, places all over the world. Because God is still sending laborers into the harvest. That top right picture there, if you look closely, for those of you who are close enough to be able to see, there's a white-haired guy there. You know, with lead and, you know, we just want laborers to go out and harvest. And so if they're really old, like that guy, you know, we'll send him too. Just kidding. That actually is Andres Garza, who is the director of uh, the church planting network for city to city for all of South America. If you could get up close enough in that picture, you'd just see this huge smile on his face. And he called me and said, Ken, it's unbelievable. These people that you send who are sharing the gospel, helping us reach young students, the next generation of laborers and leaders here. Could we do this all across South America because there's such a huge need? I was like, whoa, 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 slow down. God's at work, I believe, but let's just, you know, one step at a time. But there are people all over the world asking that question. We take it for granted that we can get 300 people together. You know, I showed the picture there of the New Zealand project. There's roughly 40 people on that project. That's the most they have ever had. It'd be like us having, you know, here probably like 1,200 people. And all around the world, God's working. And he's calling us to be a part of that. So he's inviting. And I know you won't be able to see that picture. Just all the invitations that Zoe and Brad and others have got great information back there. If you're interested to know how you can be a part of what God's doing in all these places around the world. Look at all the dots and the opportunities around the world that are possible <coughs> for you to be involved in. And God's inviting you. Those are places all around the world where people are saying, we want to see the young people right around us reach with the gospel. We either don't know how to do it or we don't have the capability or the capacity to do it. Can you come help us? How can we turn a deaf ear to that when God is working in the hearts of people to invite us to come help them? How can we say that? God's at work. God is at work. So he's been saving, he's been developing, he's been sending, he's been inviting. I think also he's been pausing us. He's been giving us the opportunity to think over the past year. And to think specifically about what he's doing in us. And that's a whole other uh, discussion, a whole other thing. If, I'll just say this. If you can't look back over the last year and all the incredible things that we've had to go through. And there are some things that are really clear in your mind that God has taught you about himself, and he's taught you about yourself, and he's taught you about the world, then you wasted the pandemic. Because God wanted to teach all of us some things during this season. So maybe you need to go back and reflect a little bit on that. But he's been working and doing things in us 
but he's been doing a lot of things around us. So let's look at just a list of all the things that have been going on over the past year. A lot of disease. Not just COVID. I've got four friends right now who are dying with terminal cancer. Just staggering. You know, maybe it's just the age I'm getting through. But, you know, and, but some of these are younger than me. There's you know, lots of disease going on. Issues with the government. Things are, you know, people on both all sides of the issues are concerned about what's happening with the government. There's just lots of needy people. You know, you, you, you cannot go very far without seeing somebody who's really in need. There's lots of struggles in ministry. A lot of things that in the past seemed to work really well don't seem to be working anymore. Things have changed, and so there's this struggle or in that ministry. There's a lot of short-term thinking going on. People are just like, you know, can we just get back to normal? Can we just get back to the way it was before? There's a lot of pride just coming out as people are struggling during this time. There's a lot of canceling going on. And then there's just a lot of half-hearted followership of Christ during this time. People are like, well, oh, you know, I'm not really sure. It's just, you know, this isn't... This isn't what I, I've heard so many people over the course of the year say, this isn't what I signed up for. And I'm like, what did you sign up for? Because Jesus talks about following him as a real thing. And it involves sacrifice. There's huge blessings, but it involves sacrifice as well. It's like, what did you sign up for? Look at all the things that have been going on this year. All those in the context of God at work. And we may say, and I've heard this, and you probably have as well, you know, nobody's had it as tough as we've had it over the course of the last year. I would just beg to differ. Because if you go back and you read Luke chapter 9, every one of those things I've just listed are exactly what was going on in Luke chapter 9. And I'm not even going to take time to detail all of those things out, but starting with disease, it's the first thing that's mentioned in Luke chapter 9, verse 1. The rampant disease that was going on at that point. Governmental issues. Herod was really upset about this ministry that Jesus was having. He was trying to interfere in it. Tons of needy people. You may say, yeah, I'm, I'm surrounded by needy people. How about 5,000 needy people following you like we're following Jesus? That's the feeding of the 5,000 it talks about there in Luke chapter 9. I could just keep going down all the things that were true at that point. And so it's like, wait a minute. That Jesus knows and walk through exactly what we've been going through over the past year. And what was his response? What was it that he did at that critical time? He's given us an example to follow. And it's exactly the verses that are in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. What are we supposed to be focused on? It's exactly what Jesus was focused on. I'll read those verses for you. After this, Luke chapter 9... The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two in every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In the midst of all of those challenges and all of those difficulties and all of those things that, you know, would just lead you to throw up your hands and say, I'm just going to quit. What did Jesus say? Was he focused on the problems? Absolutely not. He was focused on the incredible opportunity that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Real quickly, I want to destroy your attention to three things right there in those verses. The first one is the plentiful harvest. The plentiful harvest. Now, wait a minute. He was surrounded by all these hungry people, 5,000 people. He was surrounded by disciples who <coughs> continued to struggle all the time. And you're saying, you look at that? 
and say that the harvest is plentiful? That's exactly what Jesus said. In fact, he used a unique word there in the, in the Greek language. It's the word uh, polis, P-O-L-Y-S, which means plentiful. I mean, it's obviously where we get our word there, but it's the same word that Jesus said and that Jesus used in John chapter 15 when he talked about you and he talked about me and he talked about the disciples. And he said, you're going to bear much fruit. Think about how incredible that is. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. He said, your fruitfulness is going to be plentiful. How? If you're abiding in me. That means to be with Christ, to be abiding in him. And where is Christ? He is always in the harvest. What's Jesus telling us there? There's lots of problems. There's lots of difficulties. But if we just open our eyes, we are surrounded by a plentiful harvest. Lots of difficulties, lots of challenges, but a plentiful harvest. And he's going to use you in that harvest if you're willing just to step out into it. He's talking about there that idea of how much fruit is going to be produced. But secondly, he says there's an urgency about laborers. Think about that for just a moment. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers, those that are going to bring in that harvest, there's not enough of those. Jesus told a, a story in Matthew chapter 20, which was, he was really using the story to teach a, another point, but it gives us insight into what he's talking about right here. In that story, if you remember in Matthew chapter 20, he talks about this, this farm owner, this landowner, who all of a sudden the harvest was ready to be brought in, and he realized he didn't have enough workers to bring in the harvest, and so his whole livelihood, all the profit he was going to make was going to be wasted if he couldn't get the harvest in. So he tells the manager of his farm, of his land, go into the city and get workers. First thing in the morning, get workers because we've got to bring the harvest in. He goes and gets people to, to work there. He sends him back at, at, at noon and says, go get more workers. We need more workers. At 3 o'clock, he sends him back where there's just one hour left to work. He sends him back to get more laborers, more people to work in the harvest. Why? Because this man's whole life depended on it. He had to get the harvest in. That's the picture that Jesus is drawing here. That there's an urgency about labors. Now, the problem is most of us have heard this verse and we know what's coming and he's going to tell us to, to pray for labors that will go out into the harvest. Like, yeah, 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 I got it. I got it. <coughs> you know, harvest is plentiful, labors, Jesus, pray. And we miss the urgency of Jesus Calling out for laborers. If you don't get anything else I'll say tonight, perhaps not anything else from this whole Project 67, I hope that you hear the urgency that Jesus is bringing to this idea of being laborers. And if there's no other commitment you make during this Project 67 time, that you would say, I'll do anything else in my life. I'm going to be a laborer for my entire life. Because there's nothing as important or as urgent is that. That's what Jesus is saying. And that's the commitment I'm going to make. That would be the most powerful thing, impactful thing that could come from this time, is every one of us understanding that, that and making that commitment. This wasn't the only time Jesus talked about this. What about John chapter 4? He's talking to the woman at the well, and she goes back into her city there in Samaria, and the disciples come back, and, and they're like, what in the world are you doing talking to that woman? 
He was like, some people say it's four months yet to the harvest. I say the harvest is today. And they look up and the whole town is coming out to hear more about the message that Jesus is sharing. Where we see problems, Jesus sees opportunities and says the harvest is plentiful. What about John chapter 9? He talks about their, the, the work that, can, that he's going to be doing can only be done during the day. He's not using that figuratively. He said night's coming when no one can work, so we've got to work right now because we've got to bring the harvest in. Do we have that kind of urgency? Or is it kind of, yeah, you know, sure, great. You know, go on project, you know, be a part of the great yeah, yeah, that's great. Or is there something that grips your heart? This is urgent. The very next chapter, John chapter 10, Jesus said, there are other sheep. He's using another uh, illustration at this point. He says, there's other sheep that have not yet been brought into the, to the sheep flock yet. And I've got, he says, I must bring them in. You hear the urgency in Jesus' voice. We've got to bring those people in. John 17, what's he praying? He prays for himself. He prays for the disciples there in the room. And then what does he pray for? He prays for those who through their word will receive the message and come into his kingdom. He's praying for us, but he's praying for all those people out there in the harvest that he wants to see brought in. What's he say in John 20? As the Father has sent me, and, and how was he sent? He was sent out into the harvest. As the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. Kind of get the picture like there's nothing more important to Jesus than this absence, this lack of laborers. So the question is, what are we going to do? You know, he didn't say the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. And so we need a new program. Or we need a new strategy. He says we need people. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. To be out there in the harvest. And I just want to pause for just a second. I'm sure in a group this large, and all the things that you guys have got going on, there are some of you that are here who are just kind of contemplating following Christ. Look inside these verses for just a minute. What is it that Jesus is saying? This, the harvest, these people who have not yet come to follow me, have not yet come to faith, are so precious. And there's such a strategic opportunity to reach them. We've got to bring them in. What's he saying there? Your life matters. Jesus is drawing all of this attention to people who are considering following him, who heard the gospel. He said, now we got to bring those people in. So if you're one of those people, maybe you come to this project to sort of check it out, to sort of understand more about who Christ is and what, what's this mean to follow Christ. Then why not tonight move from being part of the harvest to being a follower who's going to help out in the harvest. You see the importance Jesus is putting here on, on your life? On you coming to faith? He's drawing out all of this attention to say, why don't you come into the kingdom? If you've been here over the past couple weeks and you've been hearing the gospel You've been hearing the good
good news that you don't have to earn your relationship with God. That Jesus has accomplished that for you on the cross. He's willing to bring you in, forgive all of your sins, give you eternal life, and give you meaningful life during the rest of your days. Then why not tonight? Why not right now? Move from a part of the harvest saying, I want to follow Jesus. And I want to be one of those people, as I begin to follow Jesus tonight, who's going to be concerned about bringing other people into the harvest. That was exactly my testimony. I was a sophomore in college when I came to faith. I thought I was a Christian. I came to the point of understanding, no, I've never surrendered my life to Christ. And when I did that, my very first thought was, man, all the guys in my fraternity that I hang out with, I know I need Christ. I know they need Christ as well. And I wasn't going <coughs> That could be some of you here tonight. And if that's you, why not right now make that decision? You don't have to be like my employee, go talk to Nye in Thailand. You can do it right now. And become a, one of the laborers that's going to be working in the harvest. And then the last thing, just the privilege to be a part. What's Jesus say there in, in uh, Luke chapter 10, <clears throat> verse 1. He says he's, he's sending them out two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So 72 people in pairs of two, 36 pairings of those people. Jesus is about to go visit 36 villages. For those of you who say, you know, Jesus didn't have a strategy. He just kind of walked around. I think this verse is saying Jesus had a plan. Jesus did have a plan. And so he's sending out people out into the harvest to all these villages where he himself is about to go. Now think about that for just a second. Let's just say that I and Joey, I'm going to pick on you. Let's just say, you know, Joey and I are one of those groups of two that are going out. And Jesus says, Captain Joey, you guys go to that village right down there, and I'm going to be down there. I'm coming by there in three days. You guys have got three days to go out there and be sharing the message in that village. What would I be thinking along with Joey as we walked to that village? Holy cow. No pun intended. Jesus is about to come and show up and have a ministry in this village. And he wants me to go ahead of him and share the good news with those people before he gets there? Wait a minute. Kent and Joey can have a ministry or Jesus is going to come have a ministry? I think I'll just wait three days. And when Jesus gets there, I'll just help him. Whatever he needs, I'll be all about it. That's what Jesus did. He said, you go and minister in those places. The places he was about to go. What does that say? If I was Jesus, I would never send out the 72. I'd be like, I'll take care of it. I'll go to all 36 of those villages myself. Just follow along and watch what I'm going to do. Jesus gives us the incredible privilege. Paul talks says we're his ambassadors to go out. And so what would Joey and I have really been thinking as we got in that village? What a privilege. We get to prepare the way for Jesus to show up. And that's exactly the opportunity that Jesus has given every single one of us. When you say, I'm going to be a laborer, then what are you doing? You're just saying, I get to be a part of, Jesus has given me this incredible privilege to be a part of what he's doing. There's no greater privilege in the whole world than that. 
and I get to be a part of it. Well, think about those things <coughs> in chapter 10. It's an incredible text because it's really the, the best and most explicit instructions that Jesus gives us about laboring in all the Gospels. I think there are 10 principles there that direct how we're to be laboring. Don't worry, I'm not going to get into any of the 10. Don't have enough time. But it's incredible what he tells us here about laboring. But as we talk about going forward in this, then what's God doing right now? You know, starting tomorrow, there's going to be a, a conference in London, England, about what God's doing in Europe. Tim Keller's going to be there. Neil Powell's going to be there. Some of your friends, former Sanford students who are on the lead team are going to be there. They're going to talk for the next two days about what God's doing in Europe. There's a similar conference that's going to happen in Africa in just a few days. Think about where the gospel is going out with power today. You know the place where the church is growing faster in the world than anywhere else? Iraq. Think about that. Don't tell me God's not working in the world. Even in a war-torn, distressed place like Iraq, and the church is exploding there. Muslim people left and right coming to faith because God's at work. And so when I think about it, just a couple examples here. This is Toby Meyer. He's an Afrikaans, South African. I've had a chance to get to know Toby over the past few years. He's like, Kent, there are so many young people across Africa that need to hear the gospel. Is there any way that people can come and help us to do this? So he says this quote there. Just how committed he is to seeing the gospel go out and see the next generation of leaders all across Africa come to faith. This is Neil Powell. Neil is the director for CDC for Europe. Just mentioned him a moment ago. He and Tim Keller are doing this conference over the next couple of days. He's just so excited about what God could be doing there. Because the same thing. It's like, we need help. And so, again, another quote. I'm just saying, this is incredible, the partnership that we can have together. If you guys will work with us, it could be amazing. Leave people over there in London and Birmingham and see people come to faith, see people begin a faith journey there. They're so excited about that. The churches that are going to be planted from that. This is Jonathan Iverson and his wife Maggie. They were in India for a long time, in Bangalore. They're just now moving to Tokyo, Japan. It's like, man, just from the frying pan to the fire. I mean, just as challenging as India was, and they actually were kicked out of India. Now they're going to one of the most populous cities in the world that has one of the lowest numbers of Christians. And he's just excited. And again, same thing. He's like, there's no better time to reach people than right now. Will you guys join us in this work? How many pictures, how many testimonies, how many invitations do I need to put up there until in your own head and heart, you're like, I get it. God's at work. And he's given me the incredible privilege to be involved in it. Right here today in Panama City Beach, then back on my campus, and then who knows where he wants me to go after that. I hope the ones I've already put up are sufficient, that you get the picture. God's at work, and he's giving us the incredible privilege to be a part of that. So as we think about it, what, what is God right now? What, what, what's he like? What's going on? Well, for one, he's in control. Secondly, he's totally committed to fulfilling his purposes in the world. And then not only on top of that, but he's capable. He has all the power that's needed to make his plan come to fruition. And like sometimes we're sort of sitting back like, you know, what's going on in the world? Think about it. God's in control. That's the best news we, any of us could hear today. 
He's got a plan. That's even greater news. And he's not like us who might have a plan, but we don't have all the power and the resources to pull it off. He's got all of that. But somehow I think that we kind of feel like, you know, I'm worried, so God must be worried. Or like maybe, you know, I'm kind of questioning what's going on, so maybe God's kind of questioning. Or we see our own weakness and somehow think, you know, can God really do this? God is everything on the left and nothing of what's on the right. <laughs> Number one, that ought to help you to sleep better tonight. But more than anything else, it ought to help you tomorrow morning to wake up and say, you know, I cannot wait to talk to the king of the universe this morning, to spend time in his word, and to walk out into the privilege of being a laborer for him in the day that he gives me today. Because that's who he is, and that's what he's doing. Well, if that's what God is doing, then in conclusion, what about us? And I would just say to you, you are at a point that has already occurred in history that happens about every 50 years. There's a generation that has to make a decision. That has to really decide, do I really believe the things are on the previous slide? That's who God is and he really wants us to be involved and to really make a difference. And sadly, we have both good and bad examples of what generations in the past have done. In the 1920s and 1920 specifically, was kind of the height of the student volunteer mission movement. Sorry you can't see the picture very well, but that's a, a conference that that movement held that had over 7,000 people at that conference. University students, Robert and Grace Wilder, who were two college students, just said, you know, they took this verse, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. They began to pray that God would raise up college students to take the gospel to the world. Over the next few years, it grew to the point that by 1920, they had 7,000 people. We think 300 is great. They had 7,000 people at their Project 67 to talk about going out into the world. And that year alone, 3,000, 3,000 college students took the gospel out to other places in the world. That's amazing. Think about what God was doing at that point. But as you see over here on the right-hand side, at that conference, there began to be all these discussions about what was happening in the world, all the social, political, economic issues of the day. Many people there asked, what was the point of sending missionaries abroad when conditions in the United States were so much in need of Christianization? The question there was, what's really central? What's most important? Is it the gospel? And people knowing Jesus and then all the other social and economic and, and racial issues are the fruit of that? Or is it we make those things most important and then somehow laboring in the gospel gets lost? Sadly, at that conference, now the consensus was we need to make those issues, the social and economic issues of our day, the most important thing. You know what happened? They kept having conferences, and within 18 years, they've gone from 7,000 people at their conference to less than 100. More sad than that is that in 15 years, they went from sending 3,000 people a year 
to sending nobody. Because they got their priorities wrong. Those issues that I'm mentioning are super important, but they're only answered in the gospel. And that is the priority. And so think about what an incredible opportunity was missed out on. Because people got those things out of order. In 1970, 50 years later, there was Urbana 1970. The exact same situation, coming right out of the turbulent 1960s. People asking the same questions they were asking in 1920. And the most incredible thing happened. An African-American pastor, Tom Skinner, gave the keynote address. He said, we're really faced with a decision here today of whether or not we're going to say that following Jesus is the first and the most important thing and all of these other issues are resolved as we do that and as we labor in the harvest or we're going to flip that and say these other issues are most important and the gospel and laboring, that's kind of you know, almost optional. I, he said, I want to declare to you that Jesus as our Lord is calling us to put that in first priority. And his message impacted everybody at the conference. I said, that's what we want to do. We want to see the gospel and laboring in the harvest. That's the most important thing. And think about all the incredible things that took place. There was a person who had just planted a church. It was about 10 years of the, the church would have 10 years of existence in 1970. But heard that message and, and wanted to see that kind of gospel impact. And so just a few years later, an opportunity came to start a ministry among young people and among young students. So yes, that's what we've got to keep most important is the gospel going out and laboring in the harvest. There are all these other issues, but that's what's most important. Started a ministry to begin to reach students on the local campuses and then spread out <coughs> the campuses. You know who that person was? It was Frank Barker. Pastor of a church in Birmingham, Alabama, that started campus outreach. I'd submit to you, we're in this room tonight because back in the 1970s, he made that decision that they made at Urbana in 1970 to say, Jesus, as our Lord, is calling us into the harvest. That's what's most important. It didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that now. 50 years later, we're exactly the same place. Exactly the same issues going on in the world today. And we've got a, a choice to make. Are we going to say that Jesus, as our Lord, is most important? And His gospel has got to saturate every area of our life? And it's got to work into all these areas that we talk about that are such key issues? Because you know what scares me? What about 50 years from now? What's going to be the result? Who's going to be sitting in a room like this? Or not sitting in a room like this? Because of the decision that you make. This generation makes. 1920, they struck out. Within 15 years, they've gone to zero. 1970, they said, no, we want to follow Jesus. We're in this room right now because of people who made decisions at that point. Now God's given you, given this generation, the same opportunity. What are you going to decide? I won't be here in 27. Mm -hmm. 
I'm 57 years old. I do not think I'm going to live to be 107. Sorry, Margaret. That's a sad thought. I'm not going to live that long. But you will. You will. And I hope that you have the joy at that point of saying, you know what? Didn't do it perfectly. But I labored in the harvest. I kept Jesus and the gospel as the most important thing. And I've seen fruit because I've been in the harvest. I've seen people come to faith. I've seen transformation happen in our world where injustices have been made right, where economic issues have been dealt with, where cultural challenges have been answered because of the gospel. Please, please, please. As many people as are here, I don't want us to say in 15 years, this is zero. I don't care if campus outreach exists or not. But will there be a movement in the harvest because of the decisions that you make? It's really simple. Jesus made it very simple. What God's doing in the world, what his work in the world is, it's that right there. He's inviting us to be a part. The response totally up to you. Let's pray. Father, to think about what you're doing in the world is staggering. To see where you're at work in situations that we would just think are impossible. And then that you call us to be a part of that is just there is no greater privilege. Father, this generation, and specifically this group, is faced with a decision. Give them gospel courage to follow Jesus and to live for him in the harvest that he said is so urgent and is so precious and it must be brought in. And we pray this in his name.